She met her best friend Anne in 1985 And the Babysitter's Club kept their friendship alive Then Emily was born in 1988 And she said Thanks Aunt Esme, these books are great Now they're all grown up and they're living their dreams As a writer and a scholar and an expert on teams And they're gonna start again from the very first book Because they're stuck Stuck Stuck, they're stuck in Stony Brooke. Welcome to Stuck in Stony Brook, a podcast about the Babysitter's Club. Today we're discussing special edition reader's request, Logan's Story. Does everyone have their one sentence summaries ready? Yes, sure sir. Do. Yes, sir. All right. Matt, why don't you go first? Logan's Story is about the most self-aware boy in Connecticut who struggles to deal with very easily solvable problems. <laughs> nice. That's good. How about you, Micah? Uh, mine is... Relatively socially progressive young man learns valuable life lessons about prioritizing and juggling personal and professional obligations while staying true to oneself and loved ones in spite of societal pressures. Nice. Uh, mine is your sports friends don't like it when you take care of children. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor's oldest time, you know. Wait, you guys, we should probably back up and introduce the members of the podcast. I'm Gary Schaller. I'm a clinical psychologist from the Bronx, New York. I like Kiss Records and old anime. Uh, and I'm Matt Cullinan, a television writer and producer, a self-professed weird guy who is also the only person to ever host this podcast who's actually babysat in Connecticut. And I'm Micah Graham, escaped Florida man and nearly 40-year-old juvenile delinquent. If you want to know more about us and how we know each other, check out our prologue episode. Also, rate and review us. It really helps people find the podcast. And if you have any questions, comments, or commentary about anything BSC related, drop us a line at stuckinstonybrook at gmail.com. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash stuckinstonybrook. So when you were in eighth grade and uh, in the locker room where you, where you definitely spent the most of your time. I'm there. Hang, yeah. Hang, hanging out with the fellas. <laughs> did you ever... Give piggyback rides. Uh, certainly not. A towel snap at at most. <laughs> you had the courage. For, I couldn't do a towel snap. I maybe got towel snap, but I can never yeah, give a towel I, snap. I was on the receiving end of, I think when you wet the end and they call it a rat tail. Yeah. And they get that whip crack with a welt. That's very advanced for eighth grade. That's you impressive. You not advanced for eighth grade? Is What's that? when y you mock someone by singing, um, sitting in a tree, K-I-S-S-I-N. Oh my God. Right? <laughs> yeah, there's a there's like an interesting I mean this is true I think for a lot of the babysitters club books, right? Is that it's there, there's a you know, they're they're tame, relatively tame, right? Eighth grade is definitely like I wish the worst thing I was ever called in eighth grade was Lois and we're we're gonna get into that. But it just occurred to me when when reading it, right, that this sort of like K I S S I N G thing, like, I wish. I wish that was the, yes. the worst that I had to endure. <laughs> in eighth grade, you know, in, around that time in history. What about you guys? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I think when I was in seventh grade is when I had just, my family had just moved to Connecticut. And, you know, like as the new kid in school, I was doing everything in my power to not be noticed. So I think like the mere sight, like someone looking at me was probably enough to like ruin my week and like send me into a downward spiral. <laughs> like I can't KIS into I, I oh my god I would have like I would have run away into the woods if someone had mocked me like that in school you know like yeah. Yeah. like I, I just like I couldn't you know I can cope with yeah like a wayward glance mm -hmm. Hmm. Mm -hmm. well I went to middle school public school in Florida South Florida it was a little rough and uh KISSING was far too tame for what was uh, bandied about um Casual uh, homosexual slurs were were at least a daily, if not hourly, occurrence. You know, it was. Oh, yeah. Do you want to get into this? Do you want to break yeah, it down? I, now? No, I I wrote it. I mean, I I they're teasing Logan for having a girlfriend, right, and for paying attention to her. And I wrote down the the term that would have been used. Yeah, that has to do with a whip, mm. right? That that for sure would have been used. Uh, but again, these are tame books, right? Like this is sort of um, uh, like a sweetened version of events. Yeah, yeah. 
with like we, one of the most self-aware, as you said, uh, eighth grade boys in literary history. Right. There's a bit of a disconnect. We were talking earlier about how there's this kind of almost, I mean, it was written in the 90s by someone who probably was born in the 50s or grew up in the 60s. And there's this kind of like post-war ideal, 50s American high school kind of sports mm-hmm. ideal in the book. But sorry, I just lost my train of well, thought. Like, well, no, I mean, I know what you were saying earlier is like somebody like this. It sounds, it reads like this author may have contacted someone and said, hey, I, I need you to tell me sports words, right? Like, can, can you describe sports for me? Yeah. Exactly. What happens in a boy's locker room? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what are the salacious details that my readers simply must know? Yeah, I think that's the inherent conflict in Logan's story, right? Is that there is a kid who, fully possessed of his own thoughts, understands his actions, the repercussions. The, the moment he takes an action, he understands the repercussions. He understands the consequences. He understands what he did right in the moment and what he did wrong in the moment. Mm-hmm. And yet there is this... You know, and and this does happen to some degree, right? In middle school and even into high school where you're coming into your own and learning, you know, the journey of self-discovery. But there is a sense that, you know, there are these very advanced thoughts that are that, that are in all these books. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in this one, it just like the actual plotting of the story, the actual things that happen, the words that are said between the characters is a bit more basic, a bit more reductive, a bit more... Uh, an adult's idea of children, right? right. Rather than an actual, right. I, I think that's what's celebrated about the the Babysitters Club's books, right? Is it often like you know, kids often felt represented to some degree by reading these books, and I don't feel like anything of my childhood experience beyond a balmy day on a Connecticut sports field was represented. <laughs> and it, and it, it does bear uh, noting here that uh, this was probably ghost written by Peter Larangis or Larangis. I apologize if I'm Larangier. Um, <laughs> Not Anna, Anna Martin, but script, but plotted, I assume, by Anne and Martin. Matt, did you want to um, kind of just go through? The, sure. Yes. Yeah. The skeleton of the story. What let's happened? go. Let's go through the most bare bones, right? Logan Bruno. We know him. I don't know if we love him. Marianne's boyfriend. They've gone through their ups and downs, but here they are in their relationship. Logan, we start beautiful Connecticut day. I'm assuming fall. It's football season. Mm-hmm. We're out here throwing sports balls and. Get, you know, jumping on people's backs as we score the home runs with, you know, with the hockey puck. Um, <laughs> so, so the inciting event of the story is really that um, Logan, who is now an associate member of the Babysitters Club, gets a call that he's got to go over uh, for an emergency meeting. He's nervous. Maybe Marianne's going to break up with him. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, he's missing a very important family barbecue. Well, and they're already on thin ice, right? Which is alluded to, right? They've had their, they, they were on the skids and now he's he's working hard at, at you know, not controlling her, which she even sort of gives him a little reinforcement about, right? Well, he's a man's man, you know? He, you know, he's he's got that 50s ideal, his dad, you know? Right. The only reason he's hanging out with uh, the, those ba- those rat wily babysitters is because, boy, howdy, are they cute. <laughs> so he leaves the family dinner, uh, the family barbecue, uh, gets taunted about not, you know, getting back in time. Otherwise, all the ribs will be gone. But he gets there to find out that Don's little brother has had an emergency appendectomy, and this is where all the trouble begins. Don is gone, and they need Logan to step up as an associate member and become a full member here for a little while to backfill her responsibilities. Right. Uh, and so then, what we come to discover over the journey of the story is that his, uh, you know, his bully on the uh, the athletic team. Mr. King, I believe is Mm -hmm. his name. Mm -hmm. You know, he has to start skipping practice. He's starting to babysit. Well, wouldn't you know that he's out babysitting the Hobarts, killing some bears when who walks by but the knuckleheads (laughs) from the squad and he gets made fun of. Thus begins his journey of conflict between doing something that he actually likes. He does like babysitting and he does feel conflicted about missing practice. You know, and it all comes to a head when uh, there is a health fair that the babysitters go to put on one of the boys uh, in his charge goes missing for a period of time. His rival uh, discovers him. He feels awfully embarrassed, quits the babysitters club, goes uh, to his track tryouts where he wins the day in the only way possible through a feat of male athletic prowess. Mm -hmm. But then something interesting happens. All those boys who are heckling them realize, boy, 
those babysitters are cute. Maybe you're onto something here, hero. Right. And he goes home, has a change of heart, and begs for forgiveness and to rejoin the babysitters club. Nice. Yeah, nicely done. Right. Well, and and to rejoin the babysitters club to do the reproductive labor that he's you know that are at his, at odds with his masculinity or with what other people think his masculinity is about. Yeah. Right. And so I just want to read from page 15 for a second. Right. This is where he goes, you know, he goes to the meeting. Right. Dad shrugged. You're taking your chances. Right. This is about maybe the ribs are going to be gone. I laughed and then ran to the garage yelling, bye. Did you notice my dad's reaction? Not negative, but a little uncomfortable. He gets that way when I mention anything to do with the BSC. He's not a real macho type, just old fashioned. For example, he'll talk, to, he'll talk to me for hours about so-and-so's batting average or the best way to run a defensive against a strong quarterback. I, you know, I read this and I'm like, I don't know. what <laughs> Anything related to sports, which makes sense when you consider he's a manager for a sporting goods manufacturer. But when I mention some funny or interesting thing that happened during a sitting job, he puts on this little tolerant smile and just nods silently. In his mind... I'm only involved in the BSC because I'm hot for Marianne, and that makes it okay. Straight out of an episode of Happy Days right here, right? Straight out of Happy Days, yeah. Like it's called up to the big leagues. Does this speak to either of you? (laughs) No, not even a shred of it. I mean, I'm sure maybe we all had kind of atypical childhoods, but I, for one, did not play any organized sports. Yeah, I mean, I think I think between the three of us, right, this probably is closest to my childhood, not just because of being in Connecticut, but playing a lot of organized sports, married mother and father. Uh, my father is a little bit, I guess, more old fashioned, uh, you know, did occasionally cook barbecue ribs, I suppose. Uh, I had two siblings, one of whom was named Carrie. I mean, Ooh. I might be Logan Bruno here, but, <laughs> you know, I just... I, I feel very fortunate that this was not my childhood experience, right? Like I said, I, I did babysit. I did do those things. I was, I did theater, right? Like, I, you know, and I was able to manage being in both sports and the arts, right? Which is something that often at that time, at least in my school, was not necessarily considered the most macho of thing. But I had this weird experience in my high school where like the guys would end their football season and then a lot of them would do the big musical. That's interesting. And hmm. You know, I, as much as I think the end result of the the book is a little flawed in in what it represents, it was real in that like a lot of those guys did that musical because there were some cute girls that did it too, mm-hmm. you know, and so that made it okay in their eyes. But right. there was not this, I think, social stigma or social pressure in the same way to do something that's without you know that was emasculating or deemed too feminine. That's very funny. I not much older when I was not much older than Logan. I had a, a serious girl, serious girlfriend. Okay. And I used to, she was on the fencing team and I used to go watch fencing practice. And I remember one of the guys on the football team was like, you're, you're such a F bomb. Hmm. You would rather hang out in the fencing room with the girls than watch the football game or play football or whatever it was. And I was like, yes, I, I said, yeah, like I'd rather watch my girlfriend and other girls fight with swords wearing pajamas. <laughs> and he was like, Oh yeah, that's a good point. Right? But, I had to, like, but I had to, like, I had to make the point. Like, I, what I had to do was like establish, like, no, no, no. I'm still like, it's still very heterose- heterosexual. Like, don't worry. Like, like, and I, right. and I, and like, still a man, still a boy, right? Like, there's there's justification for this because there's chicks there. Yeah. Right. And in order to like call off the wolves, right? Because otherwise, I'd be called Lois, and we don't want that to happen. Right. If you could pull out your like heteronormative high schooler bingo card and and get a couple odds and ends here, they'd be like, you know what, Gary? Right on. You're, you're A-OK in my book. <laughs> well, and, and, and the, some of the narrative reads that way, right? Like early on in the book where, you know, he's sort of like, I enjoy being around girls more or more. I like girls. I, I like being around girls. And, and, you know, I prefer girls because, you know, I can talk to them and whatever. But I but I super still like sports and and Trevor Sanborn and I can roll around and, and, you know, sports is fine. But I do like hanging out with girls, right? And you see this just a constant tension back and forth. Back. Right. Yeah. And, you know, he, he did say, like, that is why he liked it. Because he is a self, you know, self-professed weirdo. And the girls don't judge him for those things like the guys do, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he can be whoever he wants to be and doesn't have to fit into that rigid social hierarchy of, uh, you know, 
his Quidditch team, right? Like he can be whoever he wants on uh, the on the courts and not you know not have to fit. He can't do that with you know with the boys, but with the babies, the babysitters are all so quirky and fun that he can be yeah. whoever he wants to be. Yeah, he's there's room for him. Uh, Micah, I'm wondering, was this anywhere near your experience? This kind of like I have to be macho or I have to be a sports dude. I know you said you did not play any organized sports. No. Um, I mean, I kind of led a double life at home and school. Uh, I had really, really strict parents, which makes you, which forces that, you know, they were really, you know, religious extremists, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, very strict. So I didn't have any extracurricular activities, but when I got to kind of like, ah, breathe at school a little bit, then I could allow my kind of explore my personality and comedy, tried to, you know, make people laugh. I was into punk underground music and stuff. And I think that kind of was like the lane that I leaned into. And I was also uh, very poor. So I feel like punk was like a a kind of a, a costume that was easy to, I could just mm. dress like a poor slob. And it's, no, it's not that I'm poor and dirty. It's I'm punk, you know? So, but so yeah, I total culture shock, the like, you know, New England uh, football team kind of thing. It was it was like reading a sci-fi novel, pretty much <laughs> to me. So, but um, that, I'm just thinking that's interesting. Yeah, because because it, it was like night and day, right? For you, like yeah, nothing. just exactly, just uh, you know, and also um, I feel like it's it's a stereotype that men are interested in sports probably for a reason because a lot of them are, but. Oh my God. Uh, reading about sports. I mean, what's like the Venn diagram of uh, sports fans, readers, people who like reading about sports is probably <laughs> like just two separate circles. I don't know. I was, I struggled with parts of this book. Are they, are oh, they all sure. this bad? <laughs> oh, like where he's like, practice was pretty normal. I, and I love, I love, you know, I play guitar. I love music, but like, if this was, you know, Logan's guitar, right? And I and he was like, first I did the, <laughs> I, I think I would have the same damn problem. But I, I think yeah. that what I'm curious about, right? Like we had you, you two had these very disparate adolescence, right? Uh, yeah. Adolescences. But but did was there still this like fear that Logan describes? Because I I actually I'll tell you I grew up with this fear, right? This thing of like I don't want people to think that I'm a sissy or girly or less of a boy or less of a man, like that runs deep. I still feel like that sometimes. I yeah. Still, like, yeah. Yeah. That's real. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think, you know, I think that's one of the things that the book does manage to capture, right. Is that as you are coming of age, as you are right, like coming into puberty and you're becoming into young adulthood, right. You're starting to discover the things that you like. Right. And like, mm -hmm. Those things aren't always the cool things, or they were before, and now they're not, right? And so there's yeah. always that social negotiation of how much of myself do I reveal in this situation if I don't know it's going to be well-received. And whether or not that is about being deemed a sissy or just being a freak or nerd or whatever it is, mm -hmm. you know, I think, I think there is a lot of that fear. And you look, at, you look at popular entertainment, like movies and TV shows, gay panic in the United mm -hmm. States, you think of it as this archaic thing that existed in the 60s and the 70s, but you go back and like that is a main arc of Wedding Crashers, which came out in what, like 2008, right? right. right. And she yeah. has this brother who's this freak in his closet and he's, he just wants to, he wants to draw, you know, he wants to draw Vince, he's obsessed. And that's like a very recent thing. I graduated college before that came out. Mm -hmm. So that's baked in, you know, and I think that that is something that's real. I don't think it's necessarily as soft as perhaps it was represented in this book. I think it could be far more direct at times. Would would you, either of you have gotten made fun of for babysitting? Hard to say. Um, I mean, if I was like, you know, self-identifying as a member of a babysitter's club, perhaps, mm -hmm. and especially if there were other um, maybe, you know, f factors that could... Uh, <laughs> I, you know, there may be some uh, uncomfortable uh, accusations of uh, perversity or pedophilia or something. I mean, right. Florida in the 90s, I went to middle school and high school. So yes, there was a lot of um, gay panic and uh, just any every slur and anything you can imagine hurled about. Right. And this monstrous conflation of, uh, I take care of children, I'm gay, I'm a pedophile. Exactly. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, I did babysit. I don't, I don't think it ever came up social, you know, like mm-hmm. it's something I did for like family, friends and neighbors and things like that. I was not what you would call a professional or a semi-professional babysitter. I, as you know, as Micah said, no, cl- I'd had no club membership. I mean, you know, I was actually thinking about this. Like, do you guys remember like what you specifically were made fun of? Name it. I don't know. <laughs> is, there, is, there, is there a specific memory? I was thinking about this because like one yeah. of the memories that always stays with me is like, what was the year? It must have been, it was before I moved to Connecticut. It was like 1995, maybe. And hot on the scene, hottest new fashion trend, Janko jeans, right? <laughs> Janko jeans are out. It is like, they're super expensive. They're the hottest new trend at Southern Lehigh Middle School in Pennsylvania. And I convinced my parents to buy me a pair. First day I wear them to school, this kid, Chris, his, I'll redact his last name for the time <laughs> being. He comes up to me and he starts making fun of me for wearing these Janko jeans while he himself is wearing Janko jeans. Wow. <laughs> Were you like, Chris? I, I, it Just I, like, I, it's, it's so illogical. I, it did not <laughs> compute. Like, it didn't compute. I probably... Had no retort in the moment. I was like, yes, you're, oh my God, you're right. I'm an idiot. You're right. I'm a loser. Mm-hmm. Did not wear them again. Mm-hmm. Went like right back to my cargo pants, you know? You know what I got made fun of for, right? What's it, that? Which is on theme for this book, right? I had the quintessential like 80s comedy D-bag phys ed teacher. Oh no. With the like white polo shirt with the collar up, okay? Who would say, come on, ladies. If, if, uh, if like you're running slowly and of course, like I'm the one, you know, in the back with the, um, like I'm the last one running when we do the mile. And I remember being way at the back with, um, a kid I really liked, uh, named Ed Moorfield, who was in a band and Ed smoked cigarettes. And I remember him turning to me once and saying, now I know why the Marlboro, Marlboro man rides a horse, right? <laughs> which I thought was really funny. Incredible but, point. Yeah, I, but that's like the kind of crap that I got made fun of. It's like being unathletic. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Right? Yeah. Uh, it's, whew, I mean, it was a different world in the uh, South Florida public high school system, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. Being athletic, smoking cigarettes, taking drugs, uh, those probably would have been lauded as uh, you know, achievements. I guess it depends on what, what uh, circle of friends you had to, but I was, I was largely uh, just – kind of absent from from much and i thought i was like i didn't really get bullied or made fun of too much does that mean i am but i was definitely not bullying anyone i'm joking <laughs> uh but my 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 circle of friends they were incredibly cruel and there was a lot of um homoerotic masculine displays at lunchtime there was a uh ritual called uh it, at first it was called pitching in and somehow it got uh conflated to pinching in which makes even less sense uh they would just kind of like pick one person at random and like pitch in on Micah and everyone would just kind of like dogpile and just beat the shit out of you for like a good minute or two and rough you up. Like it's just, I mean, yeah. Uh, just violence, uh, for the sake of violence, uh, just as a boredom cure, just destruction, chaos. Uh, yeah. Well, it um, is that thing, right? Like as a young man growing up, you're not, you're, you're not given permission, not like n- nobody says you can't, but like, you're too scared to have, or, or like not like can't have human contact with, with human females. Right. If, if that is your sexual preference, right. Which is what your desires, right. So you want human connection. You have these male friends, but you can't ask them for a hug. So the way you do it is by touching them through violence. Right. Yeah. It's very odd. I saw a poster once that said something like, um, what is like men invent games so that they can hold each other. <laughs> yeah, and that's I think very true. Yeah, and kind of sad, you know, bittersweet, I guess. Yeah, right. back to I mean, the that, piggyback ride. That's the piggyback ride, right? That that it all goes back to that. But yeah, like throughout the book, like all the insults, I you know, I just I one of them, you know, I think might have been my favorite line was just go back to like the insult, go back to your grits and pork rings. What a burn right. that was! Right, what a burn. Yeah. Was that a, is, that is a Southerner insult, I think? That's how I yeah. took it. Logan's well, he from is Kentucky. He's yeah. from Kentucky, okay. right? So that is, that's one of the first insults in the book. You know, it does. So, so if you guys want, like, what did you make of the fact that Logan the entire time is so self-aware, right? Like in the early chapters, right, he is able to lay out all of the social dynamics. of, And again, it's like exposition, right? He is 
giving us the plot and you know the identity of all the characters, but he's laying out the social dynamics of the babysitters. He's able to talk about when Jesse's family first moved here, the kind of, you know, uh, the racial dynamics they encountered, the racism they encountered when they mm-hmm. moved to town, how he prefers girls without makeup, you know, like all this very advanced yeah. stuff. And yet all of the problems he deals with in the book are of his own making, you know, like, well, so, I mean, let's ignore for the fact for a second, the fact that like, there's a very good mortality rate from not only appendicitis, but appendectomies. And there's no <laughs> I reason say from, from football, <laughs> from football, yeah, from football related trauma. There's no reason. Sorry. I, I think the real problem is that like, Dawn did not need to go to California for a week. <laughs> right. She could have oh. stayed. She could have stayed there for, for appendicitis. I believe there is a less than 1% mortality rate. Matt, hey, hey, Matt, are you saying that, that, that like, if, if this woman had stayed with and done her reproductive labor, that um, <laughs> all of this could have been avoided? And It certainly sounds like that, doesn't it? <laughs> it certainly sounds like I'm suggesting that. Um, but what I'm really saying is, what, what about these other two associate members? Logan was a member of a sports team. This is something that did not ring true to me. Like in the middle of a sports season, to take off a full week of practice, mm-hmm. like would not have been allowed. Like, like, it, that, like, like it, that is one thing that would not have been possible. Right. Like you mentioned, for instance, like, my, you know, Micah, you had a very strict religious upbringing, but like it, it stands to reason that like lots of kids go to church or synagogue or whatever with, with uh, you know, with, with their parents. And that doesn't mean that they're like super fundamentalist. It just means they have a thing to do on Sundays, right? Like everybody has their responsibilities as a kid. Is it, is it really so unthinkable then, right? To, I guess, Matt, to your point, like that it's, it's a sports season and he just cannot babysit. Like, like is there a reality <laughs> in which he just says like, gosh, I really wish I could help out Don that, you know, like Don's a good friend. You all are good friends. I can't miss practice. He yeah. tried to say that. Right. And, and I forget if it was Christy or Marianne. I don't remember. They were like, no, you're really <laughs> going to have to miss more than one practice. That's just not good enough. Where are the other, there's two other associate members here. Let's not forget that. Where are they? I didn't hear about them picking up shifts. <laughs> That's an excellent question. Yeah. You know, and again, I'm not trying to say the women should do the reproductive labor. Uh, Logan, if he is an associate member, that labor should be split equally between all three associate members. That's what I'm trying to suggest. Let's hmm. look at it as a collective, right? We need to do a little rewrite here. I'm, listen, if you want to get into it, I will bust out the pen and the pad and we will, we will edit, copy edit the shit out of this right now. <laughs> but yeah, my, my first impression was much like yours. I thought to myself, I was like, Jesus, who is this 13 year old who is like so mature and self-aware and, and uh, you know, just in touch emotionally. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, just incapable of um, reinforcing, uh, you know, kind of standing up for themselves and just saying, I, I apologize, but here or looking for a viable workaround to uh, scheduling conflicts. But um, the kind of irony also that stuck out to me, I was uh, talking to Anne about this. Uh, in the week that I was reading the book, I was incredibly stressed and short on time and like working crazy hours every day and also had like a school project. So there was like, I was reading the book and I was like, the irony wasn't lost that my personal life story arc is kind of mirroring Logan's story at the same time. And oh. was a gracious saint and put up with all my complaining. And, <laughs> you, and Mark. Really, really meta? <laughs> I, the really meta one is that I was like, I've watched every episode of the Babysitter's Club. I've read multiple books. I've, I have the graphic novels. I love them. I'm about to do this podcast with these two guys who probably have never touched a Babysitter's Club. Nothing. It, do I need to feel some shame? Like, am I Logan? Like, <laughs> am I getting busted babysitting? Right. You're, you're lucky we're in different rooms because uh, Logan and I would be uh, Logan and I, Micah and I would be pinching in on you right now. Yeah, there would be, there would be a dog okay. pile in the center of that room. Uh, I would be heckling you for your, you know, your your grits and pork rings. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I've caught parts of it. I, I mean, that is something I'm curious about. Right? Is like, where does this sit in the pantheon? You know, like, is it? Is it me coming into it with a bias, like me as like, you know, a man in his mid thirties reading a novel written for middle schoolers and like being like, oh, well, it's rather inelegant, the manner in which they have this narrative, you know, (laughs) or is this this like within the canon of babysitters books? Like, does it, I I, I really like all the ideas present in it because I do think 
that is real. Like the conflict between accepting who you are and how you can contain these contrasting ideas that society puts. I really love that idea. I just think it's not presented in a way where like, I also think the way Logan comes to that realization at the end of the book is bad. Like, I don't think (laughs) for him to like assert his masculinity and have it validated by the fact that these cute girls show up to support him, even though he wasn't supporting them. Like, yeah, it was kind of. And then he gets the guys off his back by being masculine and hat like being like, "Oh, those girls are cute." Like literally, what's his face calls Claudia and is like, "Like, I mean, it was was it because it was 1992? They had to play it safe." But yes, I agree. It was counter to the message. Um, One one thing I was curious about too, because I thought the same thing, and I was like, "Is it just because I'm reading this? Are they all this bad?" Or no, you know, no offense to. uh, the listeners of this podcast? Pe- no, 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 no. <laughs> Peter Larangis. But I, uh, according to Angie said, no, no, no. I was like, did you read this one? Why would I read yeah. Logan's story? So, yeah. <laughs> but Does I am curious. Yeah. <laughs> um, what were you guys reading in, in, uh, at age 13? Which I believe, right? That's the age? Or yeah. School? Oh, man. Firmly like Michael Crichton novels and Star Wars Expanded Universe. Like that was it. Like, Nice. You know, yeah. like Timothy Zahn or oh, yeah. like, yeah. Kevin, the Kevin J. Anderson. Oh my God. Absolutely. Like maybe some light Star Trek because I wasn't yet. I was like, I don't know. Other people like this. It's not for me. I, I can admit, but yeah, that was it for me. And Michael Crichton and thinking like, oh, I, I read Sphere. I am an adult now, you know? <laughs> yeah. What about you guys? Um, yeah, I, some, some Crichton, heavy, heavy Star Wars, any sci-fi novel I could get my hands on. Um, fantasy, I craved fantasy, but it was, um, religious fundamentalist parents. They thought it was like demonic. So I had to kind of sneak novels, which, you know, most parents would be thrilled that their child wanted to read. But, um, a lot of Tolkien, which I guess I got away with that somehow just because it was, you know, literary enough. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of, a lot of the Star Wars expanded universe, even uh, Robotech novel. Uh, what was this? Yeah. Jack McKinney, the fictional yeah. kind of hybrid novelist. Uh, I think. Uh, hold on, the producer's holding up a message in the in the booth. We're we're losing listeners by the minute. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, what I, about you, Gary? I have ADHD, and probably the the thing I hate most about ADHD is that it it takes reading away from me. Mm-hmm. So like. You know, with ADHD, it's, um, you know, it's different for different people. Like whatever feels stimulating to you is what your brain can, can tolerate. And then the contrast, the, like by contrast, like what is not stimulating, your brain just can't hang with it. Right. And so for me, reading is one of those things that like, unless the book is incredibly stimulating right out of the gate or like, or if there's some thing to it that's grabbing my attention or it's like about a really niche topic that I'm into, like the Robotech books um right or star wars right it's incredibly hard for me to to finish a book so at that age what did grab me and what i loved was um douglas adams right i'm sure we all yeah guide and all those books right um i loved i loved that and then comics have been a mainstay for me but i was really into like this is not bragging rights but like i got in on the ground floor of like the black and white uh underground comic boom of like the 80s so like Hmm. ninja turtles before there was a cartoon yeah eastman and laird yeah yeah, eastman and laird cerebus and like all this Uh, like comics that would like the ink would come off in your hand if you touched it stuff that i really loved so a lot of that did you find that those comics or you know like had kind of the similar themes to like what would be talked about here like is that how you were like discovering yourself or was that like a different medium like music or movies or tv like where where did you get those kind of like or did you like the ideas about you know i think like what logan's story is trying to do for young boys probably gary you'd agree there's definitely a lot of subversion in in underground comics compared to like the main marvel dc stuff Mm -hmm. so Uh, oh like like you could be a feminine guy or gay mm -hmm. or kinky and whatnot in like all that stuff Yeah. yeah yeah I, yeah, and I, I I like that. I like that in music too. I mean, like you know, I, I Kiss is my favorite band, and I like the way they play with those with gender, right? Like I I liked all that stuff. I think maybe because I don't feel aligned with like the ideas of traditional masculinity that were that was like either this or die, right? Yeah. Basically. <laughs> yeah. So I, I like that. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So so the plot device of uh, Logan Bruno being tackled really roped you in, and and 
made it a, a pleasure rather than a chore to power through Logan's story. So. Uh, are you razzing me? I, you know, you used that <laughs> word, by the way. Did you catch that on page five? Yeah, yeah. Razzing is great. I love the way this kid talks. It's like a, it's like a real down home. You know, they well, really he's from you Kentucky. Yeah, Louisville. No, do we have? Yeah, what did he say? Do? He had one good line. If you doubled your brain power, you'd still be a halfwit. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, you know, that's great. I have some notes here about psychology because mm. why not, right? So on page 63, there's this thing of like, eat everything on your plate, and then you can have ice cream. Mm-hmm. Right? And um, that is reinforcement, right? But it's also uh, something called the premac principle, uh, which I think is also known as grandma's rule, which is this idea of doing a task first that is a low probability task, and rewarding it with a high probability task. So um, eating everything on your plate is low probability especially if you're a kid, especially if there's veggies, right? That's sort of the, 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 the trope, right? But eating ice cream is high probability. It's a behavior that you, you're just going to, if given the choice of behaviors, there's a high probability that you would perform that behavior, right? So pre-MAC principle is this idea of shifting things around, essentially to put a low probability behavior first and then do a high probability behavior. The other thing that I thought uh, of mentioning here is, I hope I'm saying the name right, Ellen Sater or Satter is a, a proponent of this idea of division of responsibility in feeding, um, which is a way to kind of break through this whole idea of like stressing out over what kids eat and how much and all that stuff. Like, do they have to finish everything? Then they get this, right? So the division of responsibility. And I don't know, did either of you grow up with like stress at the dinner table about what gets eaten and not? I mean, how like, dark do you want to get? <laughs> Oh, how uh, dark. Okay. Are we not going to go there? No, I was kidding. But no, it, it actually was. Um, I mean, you know, I don't know if it was just what was done at the time, but uh, if I, uh, I think a lot of children have trouble with certain meals, like chewy steak, which I no, no surprise, I don't eat meat and I haven't for like 25 years or whatever. But when they would make like steak or something, and I would kind of just chew one piece for a long time and, you know, try to struggle to swallow it or kind of try to spit it out or something, uh, there was corporal punishment and then um oh, i'm so sorry right yeah. <laughs> yeah no it's terrible yeah i mean yeah. It, 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 at strife like that i think plagues uh, a lot of people's memories in terms of like having to eat certain things this idea of like you must do right yeah i don't know matt was that everything in your in your life no you know i was thinking about it and you know growing up uh my dad traveled a lot for work and so when he was home we would do family you know family meals and sitting around and uh, you know, I grew up in an Irish Catholic family. Oftentimes it was some form of protein with some kind of potato, you know, not always the most flavorful of meals, but uh, you know, so often, you know, once me and my siblings got a little bit older, one of us was always at practice and my parents were shuffling between and someone was home and it was just kind of like, there was just a, like a lot of frozen food, you know, like whatever you guys can fend for yourselves and figure it out. And you know, often like a dinner, like on a weeknight when there was nothing going on, but often like, yeah, fend for yourself and figure it out. And so not, not kind of the same pressure in that way, I guess. Well, Ellen Satter, I hope again, I'm saying it right. S-A-T-T-E-R is a dietitian. And then uh, she's re- She worked as a registered dietitian and uh, in an outpatient clinic, medical clinic, provided psychotherapy, uh, family-based treatment of eating disorders. But what what, what I know her for is this idea of division of responsibility in, in eating, and I won't go through every bullet point, but the idea is that parents get to decide what is being what is being served and when, and kids get to decide if they eat and how much they eat, <laughs> right. right? Which a, a, when I heard that, you know, 15, 20 some odd years ago, I was like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. That's fantastic, hmm. right? Because it's this idea of like, it takes away all this junk about like, you have to eat this in order to eat that, or you must do this. Let's say there's one night where you just like, you don't care for the vegetable, but you eat the protein, you eat the dessert, you eat the car, the starch, whatever, right? It, it, it comes out in the wash because maybe the following night, there's something there, a veggie that you do like, right? And then you eat less of the protein, right? But again, parents get to decide what and when, and kids get to decide if and how much. And it seems like such a, a, a good way to do it. What a relief. Maybe they could have uh, promoted that at the health fair. The super exciting. I mean, that would be great because I mean, I have thoughts about the health fair, which goes Can out we to talk one of about my. That? I mean, I'd love to because I. I mean, I think the best part of this story comes in with a little introduction on page ninety-eight. Let me read you. 
In a nearby corner of the shopping center, the Tommy Anatomy <laughs> show was about to begin. I'm so glad we're talking about Tommy. Tommy Anatomy is a local actor who puts on a musical about the human body, mostly at elementary schools and playgrounds. He wears a costume with the human body painted on it, bones, organs, tissues, blood vessels, the works, and uses it to point out things as he sings to a tape recording. Ladies and gentlemen, and bodies of all ages, I'm Tommy Anatomy, but my friends call me gross. Let me sing you a song that'll touch your heart, stimulate your minds, warm your bones, and get your blood flowing. Corny, but immediately kids gathered around. I just, I love the idea, you know, Stony Brook is probably what, like, an hour and change outside the city. I love the idea of this out of work, you know, this struggling actor just trying to make it, <laughs> like, really going wild. I can see my friends doing this. Like, when I, you know, when I was younger and acted more, like, going to kids' show, like, you know, like, going, putting on a show at, at, at a school... The one thing I get hung up on, Tommy Anatomy, right? Yeah. There's a real golden golden opportunity here to 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 go with a name like Anna Tommy. Oh, yeah. Okay. Or Tommy Anna. I just feel like Tommy Anatomy, right? It's Anatomy. right there. Like the yeah. word is right there. Yeah. You guys aren't sold. Well, do you know what this is based on? Tommy Anatomy. Yeah. It's a Are real you... thing. Yeah, Slim Goodbody. Who's you, that? Who the hell is Slim oh, Goodbody? Oh, this is great. Okay. This is like, this is that like little, I mean, I can't, I can't believe the three of us have been friends for 11 years. We've never talked about Slim, Slim Goodbody. This is breaking my heart. Shockingly, it's, it's never come up, Gary. Right. Slim Goodbody is like a real dude, this entertainer, right? Who um, did that thing. He like dressed head to toe in like a skin tight outfit that is all like, you know, human body, organs, innards, all this stuff. Oh shit. I just Googled it. I'm having like you, this, it's like, I, like, I just like got put into a time. Like I, my mind is just washing, like ripping back <laughs> through time. I, I remember seeing this as a kid. Is this exactly what you pictured when you thought of Tommy anatomy? I guess so. Yeah. It was like baked into my, you know, the deep recesses of my mind. It's really, it's, it's the hair, like almost like, you know, the kind of curly mullet that he is sporting. Oh, right. Do you know? Yeah. yeah he has you know, kind of, like um, the curls. I'll right, have to look it like up. A, it, it, yeah. His, he looks somewhere like if, um, the greatest American hero and Richard Simmons had a baby. Yeah. With like organs on the outside. Like, <laughs> it's like funny. I, I saw, uh, I, th I believe you're both seeing a uh, wonder shows in the kind of parody of a yeah. Sesame Street yeah. children's show. Yeah. They did a, I forget what the, um, what they called there, but I saw the parody and I didn't see the original source material, which is kind of funny to see it, <laughs> but I'll have to fill in the oh, gaps. Now look up slim. Good buddy. <laughs> I didn't know that they did a slim. I just like D O G O B G Y N. But um, yeah, there uh, there's a lot of homework to do coming out of this. You know, we're yeah, gonna, to, we're gonna have yeah. to share some notes, check out some slim 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 G episodes. Right. Yeah, the health fair was so sad, and like especially just thinking of it from the perspective of like trying to sell it, right? Like they're like, let's go to like, okay, there's no rides. Yeah, wait, there's not gonna be ice cream, and they're like, no, there's a <laughs> health care like, uh did did either of you spend a lot of time in health food stores in the early 90s because i did you did yeah i, I would I did, yeah uh well I, I i lived a life of opposites going back and forth from two uh extremes uh my my mom's house and my dad and stepmom's house but when i was at my dad and stepmom's house they were the incredibly strict and i would do the weekly grocery shopping with my stepmom and there would also be a stop at the health food store, which in the early 90s kind of wasn't the health food store of today incorporated into. Uh, no, this place was called, um, oh man, I think Nutrition Cottage. It was in Florida. Um, shout out, Nutcot. Uh, guys, guys, no promotions, okay? okay. Nutcot. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was like, you know, uh, like carob and like rice milk and just not the options that you have today for like, uh, if you have any kind of food allergies or if you're looking for, and this just, I mean, I was, I had a very vivid picture in my mind of what this sad health fair was like based on yeah. my experiences at the time this was written in what passed as like health food. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I, I just, I, I, I think it's not a bad idea, but like it's, it's at this shopping mall, right? I think they set it up as like, it's in a shopping center, right? And I just, I wonder like, who are the kids that go to the health fair? Was it the shopping? I assumed it was the school auditorium. I must, my eyes must have glazed over at that point. <laughs> I honestly, by the time we got here, I was so disinterested in the health fair because it was like the most obvious like set piece of like, how can we make his two worlds collide? Because right. obviously the jocks would be at a health fair. 
Yeah. yeah. Like, and it doesn't make, it doesn't compute. I think it's like it's, the walking home for practice and seeing kids on the, you know, him babysitting kids in a yard, that makes sense to me, right? Like that. But for these guys to go out of their, I, I guess if it's a mall, it makes more sense to me, right? right. They're just hanging out at the mall being or shopping, guys. or maybe it's a shop. I don't know, something, right? Yeah. Shopping center. They have lots of shopping centers in Connecticut. That much I can assure you. I spent many, many hours at the Stanford Mall. Lost my retainer there. Oh, <laughs> for good? You never found it? No, we had to dig through the trash. Oh, oh, yeah. sucked. Well, in the food court? Yeah. Oh, at, like whatever the Mexican restaurant was. Yeah. Mexican, it's like you can't see the quotes Mexican. Yeah, with like where like all the f- hot food trays have been out so long that the like the rice and beans are just like one solid mass. <laughs> Gross. Well, well, uh, to that note, Matt, if you have the um, first Scholastic printing, I'm not sure if they changed the cover, but for the this paperback, yes, the beautiful uh, Hodges, Hodges Solu, Solu, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, I apologize, Hodge, Hodges, but there's this very literal representation of these two worlds colliding, where Logan is standing with two boys, I forget their names, um, sorry, and but the... Uh, I'm assuming that's Clarence King literally cradling a football like he's about to be tackled at any second, like confronting him with this, like, you know, dismissive I smirk. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm Clarence King. I'm King. I play, I play football. I, I just love, like, is everyone on this cover a ginger? Like, I, I noticed that. Yeah. It seemed like even in the background, I was like, he's really, is, is projection? I, I have to. Look this man up. See what he looks like. The Apple Apple paperbacks must have had. They must have found a great sale on red ink that week. You know, <laughs> just like everyone, it's fine. Nobody will remember he's a he's a brunette. I wonder if um, I wonder if uh, what's his name Hirsch Irv Hirsch was a, a ginger. Can we talk about Irv Hirsch for a second? Sure. That's Let's you know, get into this it. Is a work of fiction. It says the Jewish guy because you know you have this like Jewish kid on the football team. Edit that out. Never mind. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I don't know if any. Anyone else notice the um, not only is Logan Bruno incredibly self-aware, but also a very good. Uh, he could almost like uh, uh, be like a police, uh, not sketch artist, but his descriptions of of himself and everyone else are hilarious. But right. I was just thinking of how how would we be described in the ANM? Like, well, you know, I'm about a uh, average height, average build. I get, you know, I guess you'd say my my hair is kind of brownish and that classic kind of white people thing of how, when they describe their, the, the blue shade of their eyes and they, uh, mm. you know, like the, the bottom of the frozen tundra lake ice in, in July and, and a fishing hole in Minnesota or just some bizarre, you know, there are uh, some greatest hits, right? Like not in just this, not just in this book, but like across all the books, right. You have like Dawn with her like blonde hair and you've got, of course, uh claudia with uh almond shape you cannot eyes. you can't not mention almonds i think it was like in the contract or something <laughs> right yeah tommy anatomy i'm so glad we talked about him i would like to uh talk for a moment about my concerns regarding johnny hobart age four hmm. so oh you- yeah i i don't even know how to approach this topic it is uh, you might be most qualified to talk about it, both as the father of children and a, and a psych, uh, you know, that, that's well, the one that background. disappears. Well, no, no, no. Just chapter five begins with a quote from Johnny Hobart. First, I'm going to shoot the bear with my bow and arrow. Then I'm going to chop off his head and skin him and put him in the oven and eat him. Right. Like this was the most abrasive, abrupt, like <laughs> just like jarring opening to, to this otherwise very chill book. I, I, I literally thought that Logan's macho dad had taken him on like a hunting retreat. Like I didn't know where we were anymore. I was, my head I was spinning. About, I, I, I had to read that opening paragraph three times. Like, so I just want to quick, quickly talk about this idea of dialectics, right? And it's, uh, um, it's an idea that's near and dear to my heart. It's a big, important thing in clinical psychology over the past 40 years. It's a lot of what I do and what Esme does professionally. This idea that two things can both be true, even though they're opposites. Right? Like we don't live in a world that likes to think that way, right? So like George W. Bush famously said, you're either with us or you're against us, right? We tend to think of good and evil, right and wrong, right? But a lot of things contain their own opposite or like, you know, there's a lot of times where you have two truths and each one has like a nugget of truth in it. And uh, it strikes me like how much this book is about dialectics, right? Like here's this kid who 
is absolutely a super athlete and has a heart of gold, wants to hang out with kids and do reproductive labor, very much wants to help out, right? Like here's a kid who's like kind of Teflon about teasing and it really hurts him, right? And so I, 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 I actually applaud the author and I applaud the book for um, without naming it expressly, right? Dialectics, like giving us a little bit of a dialectical character and a dialectical plot in, in that way. I think that's important. Very nice. Yeah. So it's, Gary, to your point about dialectics, right? Like the two things being true and like my kind of gripe with Logan's self-awareness and how it just like feels in conflict with the story is just at the end of chapter five, he's babysitting the Hobart's King comes by, right? Like that's the start of the whole, you know, like babysit bullying thing. And then at the end of it, Logan is like, I am a dork. I know exactly how I handled that situation is wrong. And doesn't do, you know, like, just doesn't do anything. Like, it's like that, he has that, like, profound self-aware thought. Mm -hmm. And we're not even halfway through the book. Like, it just keeps going. Yeah. It's it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. And and again, you know, like, I go back to this point where it is, like, it is really hard, like, when all these hormones are flowing through your body. Because you can have that clear-eyed thought and the next day do something completely counterintuitive. Right. And you're constantly being shaped by by the forces around. I mean, we all are, right? Yeah. But, like at that age, so like malleable, right? So it, um, although this is a kid with like some degree of chutzpah, like who, who like you said, does know who he is, right? Um, yeah. One other thing that I kind of found unbelievable, I don't know if you guys <laughs> had this same impression, but when I was uh, reading the book, started reading it, I was like, some of these fictitious names, the characters' names just struck me as really bizarre. And, and it made me think, I was like, it's gotta be hard to really uh, kind of, toe the line between like a believable fictitious name where you probably wouldn't even notice. And, you know, like, like Logan Bruno just sounded like way too like butch masculine, like, <laughs> like Max power or something <laughs> and, and or Clarence King, even they all just sounded kind of like fake to me. And uh, I was, it's gotta be tough as an author. You probably just like mix up people's names that, you know, or, you know, but it made me think, I don't know if you guys, I was, there's something that's floating around the internet for a while, but there's a uh, Super Famicom, the Japanese Super Nintendo, uh, a 1994 baseball game called like, Fighting Baseball. And the player roster is just hilarious. Uh, there's a lot of like, you know, speculation online about how they come up with these names, but you have gems like uh, Sleeve Dykel and Bobson Dugnut, which, uh, <laughs> you know. He fit uh, right in on that football team. there's like a slate article i saw earlier where they even have a link to a spreadsheet with the entire roster it's like 700 names uh very i don't know just really just struck me as uh yeah i can tell you all the all the people i went to high school with very ordinary names a lot of marks a lot of ryan's a lot of clark's a lot of jessica's emily's stephanie's nothing that inventive yeah, no Bobsons. No, I. You know, actually, I was trying to remember this. There was a Bob. I don't know what we're short for. <laughs> it could have been Robert. Could have been Bobson. Now that you mention it, Bobson. <laughs> I really like those names. Uh, yeah, there's some pretty amazing names in this book, but uh, none as good as Br- Logan Bruno. <laughs> it's really- Logan Bruno of the Kentucky Brunos. <laughs> right. I just couldn't help. I in my mind, he didn't have a, a Louisville, Kentucky Southern drawl. He had like a like a. Uh, like a New Jersey kind of New York stereotype, you know? Hey. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I'm Logan Bruno. Hey, <laughs> what's going on here? Hey, I'm Bruno in here. Although early in the book, he did call out the Northerners that he like dealt with and talked about like, oh my gosh, these, these people all talk so fast. And when mm-hmm. I was, when I was eight, I moved from Massachusetts to Texas and I have this vivid memory of being in class and I was a pretty shy kid, but like, I raise my hand to answer a question. I give what I think is this great answer to whatever the teacher's question was. And right after me, this little girl raises her hand and she, she says to the teacher, can you ask him to talk slower? (laughs) And I never spoke again. I was horrified. I was mortified again, like the new kid thing. I just like, finally I'd been there like a week. I was ready to like step out and just right back in. I mean, it's, it's funny and sad and like, 
Whoa, now, now, now slow down there, Yankee. <laughs> we don't talk like you do down here. You're the plum fastest talker this side of the Mississippi. I got, yeah, I got real screwed up because after that, I dropped, like after living in Texas, I dropped all the G's from the end of my INGs. So I was this person who talked fast with a weird twang. It just didn't make any sense. Huh. The, the, the best culture shock story I have is when we moved from New York to San Francisco and 2006, right? Esme is from California. Of course, I grew up in the Bronx. And the first day after we moved to San Francisco, we're walking around the mission. And, and no joke, I swear to God, this happened. I turned to her at one point and I'm like, why is everybody looking at me? And she goes, <laughs> that's eye contact. <laughs> wow. Oh, that's amazing. Wow. Yeah. Like, we don't do that in New York. Come on. Uh, the only other thing I have here is like his strategy, right? For dealing eventually kind of like talk about your self-aware problem solving, mature eighth grade boy, right? His, his strategy for dealing with the teasing, the bullying actually, right? Is eventually on page 121. Uh, the past few weeks had been like a long game and those guys had figured out how to put me on the defensive, but guess what? I was not going to defeat myself. Not if I can help it. Hey, Lois, Irv said. Hey, Irv. Hi, Irv, I replied cheerfully. He wasn't expecting that. His face kind of fell as if I'd insulted him. I almost laughed. So do you guys know what this is called in behaviorism? Oh, yeah, but I'll let you answer for the audience at home. Oh, good. Okay, yeah, great. Well, I wouldn't. <laughs> I, I, uh, it's extinction, right? So like, mm. this is the term that you use, right? There's like, Positive and negative reinforcement is when you want a behavior to increase. So you either add something, positive reinforcement, or you take it away, negative reinforcement. Punishment is when you want a behavior to go down, right? And then extinction is when you want to totally get rid of a behavior, right? And you do it by removing reinforcement, right? Like, like when a kid's having a tantrum and you're like, you ignore them, right? Or when somebody is calling you and calling you and you don't pick up, right? And usually what happens, unfortunately, is what's called an extinction burst, which is like when you stop giving the reinforcer, the problem gets worse before it gets better. This is why like when you're smoking and you quit, the urge goes up before it goes down, right? Or like when you go to press the elevator and it doesn't come, if you're like me, you're like hammering the button <laughs> before you decide to give up and drag your ass upstairs. But like, I, I appreciate that Logan is using an extinction strategy. He's like, I'm not going to reinforce this anymore. Hmm. And uh, I, I think if anything has a chance of working in that situation, maybe it's extinction. That might, that might. Perhaps you learned. Perhaps you learned. Any quotes stand out as like funniest, weirdest lines? Uh, you know, I, I had a hard time. I thought some of these insults were going to, you know, tickle, tickle me. I, you know, what, what, I, um, what I found was pretty odd was, um, where is it here? My notes said 102. So here we are, end of chapter 11. And you know what I hated? Yeah, and you know what the worst thing was? I just hated, hated the fact that pigskin head king was getting the last laugh. <laughs> to describe someone as a pigskin head, it like it has like shade. Like, is there, are there shades of like a reference to neo-fascism there? I don't know. Something right. Uh, there's another like body horror image that uh, that, that was my favorite. Right, pigskin head. My my one was from page sixteen where he says. Uh, Says, I also like the other club members. Christy, Stacy, Claudia, Don, Mal, and Jesse are among my best friends, even though they're girls. I know that even though part may sound stupid, but some guys think girls are a form of human asparagus. <laughs> I actually, I, I just, that's one of those moments where the writing just uh, boggles the mind. But the human really asparagus shines. thing I quite like. Yeah. Uh, I kind of struggle a little bit to pick out a good one. One that just kind of struck me as funny is uh, when they're at the health fair. Uh, page 112, Clarence King is kind of uh, razzing Logan for being there babysitting. And he said something like, what do you got to take the kid to go potty? And uh, Johnny says, I don't go potty, yeah, Johnny reminded King. <laughs> yeah. That's Tell him, young man. Yeah, I don't go potty. I poop. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Hey, what should we pizza toast to? Do you guys have anything that you want to pizza toast to? Uh, Other than Tommy Anatomy? Other than Slim Goodbody? Uh, Other than actors finding a way to make it work? <laughs> yeah. Matt's Emmy? Oh, Matt won an Emmy. Oh, uh, yeah. Hey, congrats to me. Pizza Toast to me, huh? Pizza Toast, pizza to, Matt's toast Matt's to Matt's Emmy. To Matt's Woo. Emmy. To Matt's Woo, Pizza Toast. Pizza Toast to all of us for, uh, you know, it, t it takes a village. 
This episode of Stuck in Stony Brook is now adjourned. Thank you to Anne M. Martin for everything. This episode of Stuck in Stony Brook is edited by Emily Crandall. Theme song written and recorded by me. Performed by the band Kick Hit. You can follow us on Instagram at Stuck in Stony Brook or find us on our website, stuckinstonybrook.com. You can also join us on Patreon for bonus content at patreon.com slash stuckinstonybrook. Need some books that we mentioned? Buy them from our bookshop and support both a local independent bookstore and your favorite series literature analysis podcast. Find us at bookshop.org slash shop slash stuck in Stony Brook. Lastly, if you're feeling dibbly generous and you want to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, that would be super helpful. You're the best friends a boy could ask for.